morning. Lord God, we come so grateful that you indeed are the center of all joy. Father, there is no satisfaction apart from you. And Father, we come on this Lord's day to say thank you. Father, we say thank you because you have given us such a precious gift in the person of work of Christ Jesus. Not only have you redeemed us through the blood of Christ, but you keep us by your Holy Spirit. So, Father, this salvation that you have given to men is completely found in you. Father, our salvation was centered in you from eternity past. And our salvation has been brought forth by the blood of Christ. And Father, you are even keeping us now through the power of your Holy Spirit. So truly, dear God, you are the center of our joy. For you are the center of this universe. You are the center of all things. For your word declares that on that day, all of creation, all those in heaven and in earth and those under the earth will gather around your throne that is at the center of it all. Father, you are at the center of our praise this morning. For you and you alone are worthy of our worship. Father, you are at the center of our affections because only you are worthy to be loved. Father, you are at the center of, of this place right now because apart from you, there would be no Forest Baptist Church. So, Father, we just stop by to say thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will continue to do in this place and in this world for your kingdom purposes. Father, I ask this morning that you would be the center of our affections and that you would open up our eyes and ears to your Precious word. Father, please part your Holy Spirit for we cannot understand apart from your spirit giving sight. Giving clarity. Father, I ask that you please guard my heart and my thoughts in Christ Jesus and that you would take my weakness. Oh, Lord, I am weak. But Father, you promise that when we are weak, you will be strong. And that your grace is sufficient. So, Father, by your grace and mercy, please speak to us, your people, this morning. May we hear from and learn from the gospel of Matthew. And may we rightly apply your word to our lives. That we would not leave this place merely knowing more facts about you, but we would walk in wisdom living for you. So, Father, we ask that you would have your way. In the matchless and mighty Magnificent name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, beloved, it's good to be with you once again this first day of the week, this Lord's Day. So I welcome each and every one of you to the church gathered at Forest. It's so good to see your smiling faces. And again, it's 
good to be with you, no matter what has transpired this week, no matter what may be on your hearts and upon your minds, just know that God is able, that he is the one who has kept you, and that he is the one who has brought us here to be gathered together in order to encourage one another through his word, to encourage one another uh, through the saints, through our hugs, and uh, through the demonstrations of love we've had uh, even this morning. Amen. And I continue to pray, uh, even as we come out of this week into the next week, that the Lord would give his people wisdom, that he would give this country wisdom, that uh, upon this election week, that uh, Jesus would be glorified. Uh, a lot is going on that has been ugly and, and, and wicked, uh, but God uh, is beautiful, and I pray that his beauty will shine forth in the prayers of his people and in, in the actions of his people. Pray that even as we go to the polls, we would not go as a Democrat or a Republican, but we would go as an independent for Christ Jesus. And that we would vote according to our conscience and the Lord's leading, even this week. Well, if you would, turn with me to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, the third chapter, as we continue in this series. In the series, we've been looking at God la God's last prophet in the person of John the Baptist. In the last two weeks, we've looked at the man, John the Baptist, and this week we will look at the message of John the Baptist. Matthew, the third chapter. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 6. This week we will add to that and look at verses 1 through 12. So if you would and if you are able, please stand with, with me for the reading of God's word. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones, to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the shaft he will burn up with unquenchable fire. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. 
as we look at the text before us, I like to place the tag on it, turning from death to life. Turning from death to life. Indeed, as I mentioned, this, the right that we have to vote is an important right. And in just two days, we will have the opportunity to take part in these midterm elections. And, and many races are tight. And as usual, attack ads are in full swing, full of their exaggerations and lies. You know, and, and on pre uh, previous occasions, I have from this pulpit reminded us that how our political leaders go, so go the nation. It doesn't take much to lead people uh, from these positions. And, and however someone is leading from uh, these offices, you will see the same type of thing transpiring from the people that they lead. They call that the influence of leadership. Though there are many candidates and referendums and amendments on the ballot, this year's election has been unfortunately centered around the subject of immigration. And for years there has been a lot of talk about immigration reform and we see that little action has actually taken place and again unfortunately I believe our president has taken advantage of this and in, in, in some ways has weaponized his language speaking indiscriminately and calling those from our southern border rapists and criminals and he's stoking an atmosphere of fright naming their attempted entry as an invasion cries to build the wall have grown and many and for many this election has become a referendum built around keeping our brown brothers and sisters out of the country now, I understand I'm no cultural Marxist, and I absolutely believe in the rule of the law. However, I believe in laws that they are created to make opportunity for human flourishing. Laws that do not perpetuate institutional oppression. But, beloved, wherever you are on the spectrum as Christians, we have to feel some way about this rhetoric. We have to feel some way about this vitriol. Beloved, and this is why, because had Jesus came and built a wall instead of a bridge, where would we be? Had not God condescended and came low to those who were in the greatest need, had not God seen our, our deficit and decided to do something about that which we lack, had not God acted on our behalf, the weak and the weary, the, the marginalized and the oppressed, had not God showed up, where would we be? God did not look down and say they just need to get it together. They just need to, to do things the right way. God said, I know they can't do things the right way, so I will show up. In order that they will see the right way. Beloved, had had access to glory not been provided. We would remain refugees of this earthly realm. 
had the executive order on high not been signed by the blood of Jesus, we would not have received asylum from sin's oppressive regime. Beloved, understand, the gospel is more than just forgiveness of sin. The gospel grants us access to a whole new world. This is the message of John the Baptist. He says, repent for the king, kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying a, a, a transformation needs to take place in our lives. And because there's a, a new kingdom at hand, a, a new kingdom has arrived. And access to this new kingdom is only made possible through repentance. Beloved, what we see here is that the message of repentance opens the door to a whole new world. Repentance is what grants access to this new kingdom where God's reign and has been realized and where God's people find rest. God's kingdom, this kingdom of heaven is synonymous with the kingdom of God is it's the same thing. And what it means is it's, it's, it's the place where God's people show up in God's place under God's rule. That's the kingdom. Summed up is those three things. Whenever in the text of scripture you see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, uh, the authors are talking about God's people in God's place under God's rule. Where, where the authority, where the standards, where the actions of God uh, begin to permeate throughout that place. This is why uh, the church is existing. Because we are to be the outpost of heaven, a demonstration of God's kingdom on earth. So, so when we're not manifesting who we are, when we're not representing rightly the cross of Jesus Christ, then we are tarnishing the image of the kingdom of heaven. Beloved, it's in this place where the kingdom of heaven, we should see it manifest in our actions, in our language, and, and how we walk and how we talk. Understand, when the Old Testament saints were looking forward to the kingdom of heaven, they were looking forward to the place where redemption was free. They would be redeemed, and, and they were looking for the place where forgiveness is, is given freely. They would no longer have to be legislated by the law and, and, and taking sacrifices to the temple over and over and over again. They were looking for their freedom in this new kingdom. And beloved, we see in the kingdom of heaven, there is victory. Victory abides. But as good as that kingdom sounds, as, as good as that kingdom is, Unfortunately, many of us still want to call this world home. Where we love this world and the things in the world. Where we're loving the so-called freedom this world has to offer us. This, this, this so-called freedom that I can do what I want. I can say what I want. This personal autonomy, I can go where I want to go. I can watch what I want to watch. 
I can spend my money however I want to spend it. And if you don't like it, you need to just get out of the way. This, this, this so-called freedom where we, where we want to be the gods of our own lives and do whatever we want to do. But, beloved, it's just an illusion of freedom. When you ever you live for yourself, you're not truly free. Because when you're living for yourself, you're actually living for Satan. We don't want to give up this world because we are loving the fame this world offers us. We love the notoriety. We, we love when people look at us and compliment us. We, we, we love just the very opposite of what we sang this morning. Instead of Jesus being the center of your joy, uh, uh, your name, sign, uh, me, Nate, is the center of my joy. Blank is the center of my joy. Just insert your name. Instead of Jesus being at the center of it all, from, from our hearts to the heavens, we want to be the center of it all. We want glory for ourselves. And so we're, so we're holding on to this world. Someone's asked like, like, like a picture of a car driving down the street. And we're, we're not in the car. We're behind the car being dragged down the street hanging on. It's tearing us up. It's destroying our clothes. It's, it's killing us, but we're still holding on. Where the sensible thing would be to let go. The sensible thing would be to let go of what this world has to offer because, beloved, this world is passing away. This world is headed for a catastrophe. And when I say this world, I'm talking this world system, everything that this world has to offer, all that you think is, is, is glorious and lovely, all that you are consuming and partaking, all that you think feels so good, is coming to an end. It's as if we were all on the Titanic. And, 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 and we are so excited to, to have received our ticket. We're so excited because our name is on the, is on the, the list and, and everybody can see, oh, look at them. They, they have a ticket to go on the Titanic. They must be somebody because they get to show up and they get to sit down. And they're the ones who, 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 who get their names and lights. And as we get on board, we're seduced by the Titanic's opulence and its beauty and its splendor. You don't just get one meal, you get six meals. And you get waited on and, 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 and you get all comfortable on your seat. And, 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 you, and you think that you're, you're on a ship that is indestructible. And you think your life is indestructible. And you think you can just be comfortable going through life. And you think it's all about uh, uh, being served and what's on your plate. But beloved, this world is just like the Titanic. And it is headed on a, uh, on a course of destruction with the rock Christ Jesus. All that the world has to offer will come up against the kingdom of God one day. 
And when this world comes up against the return of Jesus, everything that we held dear, everything that we thought would be permanent, we'll, we'll see it will come crashing down. The only way of escape is on the lifeboat of repentance. The only way to be saved, the only way for rescue, and the only way to, to safety is, is the lifeboat of repentance. This, this is John the Baptist's message. His entire message can be summarized as those who turn from sin and self receive access to the kingdom of God. Those who turn from sin and self receive access to the kingdom of God. In other words, just to make it simple, repentance leads to life. Look here in verses 1 and 2. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John, he, he, he comes on the scene and he's, he's preaching and he's declaring and he's heralding and he's calling out. And, and what is it that he's preaching? What does John preach? Is, is he preaching a message of enjoy your best life now? Is John preaching a message of you just need to go to church more often. Is John preaching a message of you just need to do more good than bad? Absolutely not. John the Baptist, he comes on the scene calling Israel to repent. Repent. Why would he do that? That couldn't be a popular message. That's like showing up to the potluck telling everybody, you need to eat that broccoli. Eat that spinach, them Brussels sprouts. Eat what's good for you. This, repent is not a popular message. Repent is, is not a message that, that the masses want to hear because uh, it, it makes you seem like an old fuddy-duddy. Like you ain't no fun. You trying to stop my groove. Why is John the Baptist preaching this? Because this is the same message that God has been preaching to his people since Genesis. This is the same message that we see all throughout the text of Scripture woven in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges and Ruth. Every single book of the Bible is, is this weaving of repent, turn. Since Adam's rejection of God's rule in Eden, mankind's default setting has been to set up our own kingdoms. You, you know what it is to have a default setting. When, when you pull your smartphones out that shiny new packaging, when, 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 you, when you roll back the, the plastic and you begin to play with your phone, there's some default settings that it just come baked in from the company. And some of those settings, you just can't, you can't change yourself. You got to call in and, and get somebody from corporate to change those settings. But our default settings are set to sin and selfishness. We will always choose to have our own kingdoms. In the text of Scripture, from, 
from, from Babel to Babylon and back, we see that our default is always to do what we want to do. Israel had this tendency in the scriptures that they would, they would draw near to God and God would reveal himself. And, and then along the way, they would begin to turn away from God's goodness, turn away from his grace to begin to do what they wanted to do, to do what they believed would satisfy them. And just like Israel, we're the same way. How often do we turn our backs on God thinking that something else and someone else could satisfy us as much as Christ? Isn't that why we pursue what we pursue? We really, we really have this internal belief that what's out there can actually satisfy me more than what's up there. And we begin to set up these kingdoms that glorify ourselves, these, these kingdoms with our own rules and regulations. I've talked about it before, how, how we set up these kingdoms in our own lives, and we, and we don't tell nobody else what the rules are. We don't tell nobody else what it means to live in our kingdom. And then when somebody breaks a rule in our kingdom, we go off. They don't even know. Don't they know I hate when people smack their gum like that? They get on my last nerve. Don't they know you don't put your purse on the floor? Oh, that's just bad luck. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And we set up these kingdoms, and when people break these rules in our kingdoms, we get offended and upset. Beloved, God didn't give you, give you life. He didn't pour in the Holy Spirit in order for you to set up your kingdom. He gave you life that you can set up his kingdom. So John's call to repentance, it actually should be a wake-up call for Israel. And this is a wake-up call to us. When, when John comes saying repent, he's saying you're going in the wrong direction. You're going in the wrong direction. That's what, that's, that's what the call is. Israel, I come preaching in the wilderness, and, and I say repent for the kingdom of heaven is as, as at hand. Because if you was going the right way in the first place, I wouldn't have had to come. But glory be to God that he knows our hearts. He knows our brokenness. He knows our weaknesses. And he comes and says and sends people into our lives to say, repent. Turn. Have you ever been downtown on one of those one-way streets and found yourself making a wrong turn? Have, 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 is, is that just me? Have you ever made a wrong-way turn onto a one-way street? Like, like you missed the sign that said no right turn. You were supposed to turn left, but you turned right. And at first you think you're good. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to go around there. Then all of a sudden the light turned green down there. And all these cars start coming your way. You're like, oh. <laughs> Trying to turn. But you know what? That's an example of this world just in the opposite. This world is so turned upside down, God's people are going the right way, but everybody else is going the wrong way. And when everybody, beloved, when everybody else, hear this, when everybody else in your life and around your life is going the wrong way, it can easily become to look like the right way. 
If everybody in your life is going the wrong way, then what way do you think you're going to end up going? Because you think, well, they go, everybody else is going that wrong way. And, and you begin to adjust your life to what everybody else is doing. But that's not what God called us to do. Because the text of Scripture says, wise is the path that leads to destruction. So we just need to understand right now that there's going to be a lot more people going the wrong way than the right way in this world. But he says, narrow is the gate. Narrow is the path to life. Don't be upset that all your friends going out Friday and Saturday night. Don't be upset that they got money in the bank, but it's from illegal means. Don't be upset when your homeboy got three, four, five girlfriends in another bed every single night. Don't be up, don't, You ain't missing out. Because the world is going the wrong way. But God's people, we, we, we go against the current. We paddling upstream. And because the Holy Spirit gives us strength, we can go against the current. One author was telling a story about how he had just finished a conference in Chicago and he and his wife got into their car, getting ready to head home. As a matter of fact, he said it was headed back to Detroit. If you know the path from Chicago to Detroit, you jump on 94. And he said that as they were driving to Detroit, his wife nudged him and says, I, honey, I think we're going the wrong way. Then he says, in his heart, he said, no, nah, we're going the right way. His, his, his pride began to puff up. And he says he, he kept on driving, but, but this time it wasn't his wife who said he was going the wrong way. It was the sign that said he was going the wrong way. But he said his pride had such a hold on him that he kept going. His pride had such a hold on him that even though he knew he was going the wrong way, just to not be proven wrong, he kept going the wrong way anyway. And beloved, I don't know about you, but sometimes in our lives, our pride gets so thick up in here that even when we know we're going the wrong way, we're trying to save face and telling people, no, nah, it's all right. No, nah, I'm going to be all right. No, nah, he a good man. No, nah, that's a good job. No, I'm going to get my money the right. No, when we going the wrong way and everybody around you is saying, turn around. So concerned about what other people may say that we don't even turn around. But beloved, he, he goes on to say he finally got to the point where he just, he put over to the side and he stopped. He stopped. And he said to his wife, you know what? We were going the wrong way. The beautiful thing about repentance is that when God's people are challenged with it, they confess. This is what we see in verses 5 and 6. In verses 5 and 6, John, he comes pre preaching this message of turn. It says, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, 
And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, doing what? Confessing their sins. That, that's what confession is. Confession is, I, I got to stop. Confession says, I, I've been seeing all the signs. I've been seeing all the warnings, and I just need to stop. Confession says, I'm going to agree about what that signpost really says. See, but beloved, the signpost is not a street sign. The, the signpost is the word of God. And when we come to the word of God and we see the mind of Christ and we see what God loves and what he hates, there has to be a point in our lives where we agree with God about how he feels about sin. See, confession can only happen when we actually agree with God. See, confession don't happen when we begrudgingly say, well, I guess I got to stop. I guess I got to give it up. If I'm going to serve on the usher board, I guess I got to do this. If I'm going to be in the choir, I guess I got to do this. If I actually want to be a pastor, I, then I know confessing this, Lord, I agree with you about how you feel about this. Not how I feel, not how the world feels, but how you feel about it. And because I know that you love this or you like this, I'm going to do accordingly. I'm going to Stop. I'm going to stop going the wrong way. This is what Israel decides to do. These people coming out, they've been, they've been living under this legalistic system where they, where they are the end all, be all. Because of their lineage, because of their name, they thought they had acceptance to God. But they finally came out and said, you know what? I, I know I may be an Israelite, but I'm a no good Israelite. I'm an Israelite. I can't keep the law. I can't, I can't be right. And he come to a point where, well, Lord, I'm just going to confess. I need to stop living for myself. And they come out, and the baptism is a baptism of repentance, a demonstration that they finally are giving up. They're waving the white flag. Beloved, some of us today needs to start waving the white flag. We, we need to give up. We need to say, Lord, I'm just going to stop. I, I've been acting a fool, Lord. Help me stop. I've been, oh, bitter and angry all the time. Lord, help me stop. I ain't been no good to my husband, my wife, or my children. Lord, help me to stop. Lord, help me to, to agree with you about how you feel about this in my life. But, beloved, we see not only did they need to confess. Matthew, he now introduces to us this, the religious leaders in this point. Is that he wants to show that not only is confession needed, but they needed to change. In verses 7 through 9, he said, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. He, he is laying out this understanding. He is introducing us to the religious leaders of the time. For the rest of the book, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are, 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 are going to be in play. And, and what they are, this is the religious leadership. This is the Sanhedrin is what it's called. And if anything, they are the political parties of the day. They are the 
the people giving leadership to Israel, the, the Pharisees were known to be politically conservative, but yet religiously liberal. What that meant is that they, even though they had a, a supreme place for the Torah, they still observe oral tradition. So, so the interpretation of the scribes, what was passed down, though they had a high view of the Torah, they still accepted other people's words in regards to how they should live. They obeyed the, these oral traditions rigorously. They, they did believe in the resurrection and that a Messiah would come and one of their political platforms was that Rome was an illegitimate force which made them popular with the people. And on the other hand, you have the Sadducees who were just the opposite. They were the rich folks, the aristocrats. They had priestly influence and they were politically liberal but yet religiously conservative. And they actually held the majority of the membership of the Sanhedrin. They, they, were the, the, uh, they had the majority. They would accept nothing as authoritative except the written word. However, they only accepted the five books of the Torah, which meant that they did deny the resurrection from the dead. They denied angels. They denied completely all, all of spiritual life. They had no expressed messianic expectations at all. They were found to often collaborate with the Romans, which made them undesired by the people. But notice, wherever God is moving, even those in opposition to one another, if they belong to Satan, if they belong to this world, they will unite against the, the cause of Christ. You, you may have people in your life from different at uh, vantage points and, and different ways of life. But when you start talking about Jesus, oh, they can be unified then. Wanting you to get out of their face. And they're unified as they come out to John the Baptist. And uh, they're, they're trying to figure out what's going on. Some, some scholars think that perhaps because baptism had become so popular, they wanted to take part too. That's a word for us. Don't let the popularity of baptism be the re reason why you get in the water. But what does he call them? He looks right through them. He said, you brood of vipers. Vipers. This particular serpent is known that when uh, the, the mother gives birth to the, the babies, the brood, that's what it means. Brood means babies. When, when he gives birth to his babies, the babies actually begin to eat the mother. That's how vicious, how nasty, how deceitful this this religious sect is, these, these, these church folks. And John looks right through them and said, who warned you to flee? Who? Who told you? Because all of your life, you're not paying attention. Why all of a sudden are you interested? And, and, and he goes on and he tells them, you know what, if you, if you really real, if you really want this baptism, if you, if you really want to be changed, then he says in verse 8, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance then. He says, don't just talk like you saved. Start acting like you saved. Don't just talk like you go to church. Be the church from the inside out. You know, beloved, it's so funny. I, I, I'm just out and about. And I, how many folks, I don't want to step on anyone's toes, but, but according to what I see this morning, According to what I see out there, there's a whole lot of members of Forest that I just don't see on Sunday mornings. 
Because there's a lot of folks who say, oh, I'm members of that church. I'm like, for real? I don't know if I ever met you. See, on the outside, they part of the church. But on the inside, they're not of the church. John is saying, don't just talk like you say. Don't just say all the, the, the lingo and the language. Yes, I'm, I'm blessed and highly favored. Oh, glory be to God. Hallelujah. I sound like, no, we don't do that here. But, 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 but they act in a way that shows their, their religion on the outside. No. John is saying, be real. John say, real, recognize real. You just talk the talk, but you ain't walking the walk. If you're going to confess your sin, that means you're going to be changed. That means your life is going to be different now. Some, something's going to be different about your life. The way you walk is going to be different. The way you talk is going to be different. The way, the way you dress, what you watch, where you go, there's going to be something different about them. And John gave them that expectation. Turn with me right quick. Luke, the third chapter. I want to show you this in, in the Gospel of Luke. This is a parallel account to John's ministry. And Luke gives us a few more details. In Luke, the third chapter, starting with the 10th verse. And, it's, and the word of God reads, it says, and the crowds asked him. Watch this. So they, they've come out. They've been baptized. They, they want to repent. They, they, they've been confessing. And look what they ask John. It says, what then shall we do? In verse 11, and he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. If, if you're going to be repentant, then you need to start giving up of yourself. Then it says, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Don't just hoard everything for yourself. Then he goes on to say, and tax collectors. They also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. What the tax collectors, they were known, they were hated because they were thieves and they would, they would scheme and uh, they had one tax rate given to them by the Romans, but they would go to the people with a higher tax rate to extort the people. What he's saying is, if you want to be saved, then just do your job right. Stop stealing from folks. Verse 14 says, soldiers also asked them, and we, what shall we do now? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations. And be content with your wages. He's saying when you pull the folks over on the street, stop arresting them for no reason. Stop arresting them because you got a vendetta. Stop acting like, like, uh, uh, like, like you are the, the law, that you are the supreme authority. Start treating folks right. Repentance is saying you can't keep acting like you was acting before because when God comes in, he brings transformation and change into your life. Picking up that story about the author who was driving from Chicago to the Detroit. So he's 
he stopped on the side of the road. So that stopping, that is an example of confession. I, I, okay, I'm going to stop. But beloved, be mindful of this. Be mindful of this. Don't let Satan steal this from you. Just because you stopped doesn't mean you've changed. Just because you stopped doing something don't mean you ain't really changed. You may be like some folks, you just done got too old to keep doing it. Boy, I used to shut, I used to shut the club down Friday night. Be in there, they be last claw, flicking the lights. I'll be, I'll be posted up. Now nah, I'll be asleep at 10 o'clock. I'll be in the bed. I, I just can't be out like I used to. You ain't changed. You just got old. So just because you stop something don't mean you really changed. So what he was saying, he said he was stopped on the side of the road. But in order to start going the right way, he had to get off that exit and turn around. Beloved, that's repentance. You don't just come in here confessing your sin. Oh, was me. I was doing this and I was doing that. Okay, I hear you. Praise God, you understand what, what, what God requires of you. But that next question, but what you going to do about it? But what you going to do about it? Are you going to continue in your pity party or are you going to let the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit rule and reign or reside in your life? Because the same power, that, that, that resurrection power, that third day power, that all power in his hand, that raised Jesus up on the third day, it's the same power that abides within his people. Beloved, some of y'all are going to have to get off on this exit. And you're going to have to turn around and go the other way. Because repentance is both a change of mind and a change of direction. Let me leave you with these few things as we get ready to get out of here. Understand, repentance means turning. It means turning. So when John calls Israel to repentance, he's calling them to do more than just say, I'm sorry. More than just oops, my bad. John, he, his call to repentance, to, uh, to repentance, is a call to start believing God more than you believe yourself. That means we have to know the mind of Christ, and the mind of Christ is illuminated to us and revealed to us through His Word. If you're trying to repent, if you're trying to return. Uh, uh, to re re return into a right relationship with God, but you don't have your Bible open, if you are not reading your word, then you won't know what God requires of you, and you will continue down the same path. You got to start believing God over yourself. That's why we don't pray. We believe we're stronger than what we really are. So God, if I don't really need to pray if, if I'm trying to change. If I think I'm strong, but beloved, we know the truth. We are so weak. If we don't pray, we have no hope of transformation. Prayer is dependence upon God. 
Not only is John calling people to start believing God over themselves, John is calling Israel to start saying no to some stuff. That's repentance. You just got to start saying no. At some point, you have to begin to exercise the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. At some point, you got to say no. I know when, I, when I'm trying to do right, when I'm trying to eat right, I, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I just can't have cookies in the house. I can't have potato chips in the house. I, I can't have that. The kids bring that stuff home, and, I, and I'll be over at the counter like, oh, oh. And I can't, I, it just can't be in the house. Some of y'all are going to have to start taking stuff out your house in order so you can start being obedient to the word of God. You ain't strong enough to say no, so, uh, uh, so take the right precautions so you can start saying no. Yeah, you addicted to pornography, but you still got internet. If you addicted, then get rid of the internet. You don't need Wi-Fi. And you got to struggle. This is what Jesus says. Sometimes you got to pluck out some eyes. Cut off some hands. You got to start saying no. At the end of the day, beloved, biblical repentance is a heartfelt, godly sorrow for one's sin together with a resolution to turn from it. I'll say that again. Biblical repentance is a heartfelt, godly sorrow for one's sin together with a resolution to turn from it. I'll say it one more time. Biblical repentance is a heartfelt, godly sorrow for one's sin together with a resolution to turn from it. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. Second Corinthians, the 7th chapter, verses 9 and 10. And what Paul wants to guard us from is just feeling guilty. Changing because we just feel guilty about something. But we need to have a, a, a godly sorrow, a sorrow that... That I'm not just sorry for my sin. I'm sorry because of the one who I have offended because of my sin. In verse 9, he says, And it is I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Verse 10, For godly grief, produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief just leads to depression. Worldly grief just makes you feel bad about what you're doing, and now you're, you're all by yourself, and, you and you're ashamed of your sin. 
and you're, you're ashamed of your brokenness. That's not godly grief. Godly grief says, God, I am so sorry that I have offended you and I have offended your people. But I understand that there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And I come to you, 1 John 1, 9, that if I confess my sins, you will forgive me of my trespasses. That if I just come to you, I'm not going to run away from you. I'm going to run to you. I'm going to run to my father. Uh, he's not going to spank me because he's mad at me. He's going to embrace me because he loves me. God ain't angry at you. God wants to love you. Satan wants us to believe. That we serve a God that is just mad because of our sin. That is bringing God down to our level. That's us. When folks sin about sin against us, what we do? I'm gonna get them. I'm gonna get them back. They true. I'm done with them now. I'm 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 done. They better not call me no more. And I I ain't asking nothing for them no more. And, and you know we we have our own ways. But God is not like us. He's perfect in his love. He's perfect in his affection. He's perfect in his mercy. He's perfect in his grace. He's perfect in how he wants to lavish his, his grace upon us. And he will not do us wrong. So when we are in our sin and we confess our sins, he says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And not only will he forgive us, he's going to begin to cleanse us. He's going to begin to take that, that old dirty stained garment, that, that old filthy robe, you know, that old that robe you've been rolling around in the mud with all day. You've been doing your, you've been hanging out in this robe. He says, not only am I going to, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm going to, I'm going to clean that robe. Isaiah says, and he, and he dips our robe. Uh, he takes us, and though my sin was as crimson stained, he will wash me a white as snow. See, the blood of Jesus is better than any tide you got at the crib. Yeah, it's better than any one of them pen erasers to get out of stain. The blood of Jesus go deep into the fabric of your DNA, and it begins to change you from the inside out. So now you begin to manifest his righteousness. You begin to love like he loves. You begin to... Be sacrificial like he's sacrificial because of his blood. Repentance means turning, turning from sin and self. I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to give you some scriptures. That's the next one. So repentance means turning, but re repentance means turning from sin and self. And not partially. Completely. Both physically, spiritually, and emotionally. We should. Repentance means turning from sin and self physically. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. You just write it down, don't turn. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. See, we turn physically. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous would not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, 
nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. See, this, see, but verse 11 is repentance. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. We got to change physically. But then also we change spiritually. 2 Corinthians 5.15. The text of Scripture says, And he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We need to turn physically, spiritually, but beloved, we need to turn emotionally. We got to get a new love interest. First John, the second chapter, verses 15 through 17. First John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And this world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. But beloved, more than anything, though repentance means turning and though it means turning from sin and self, repentance means turning from death. Turning from death. This is what the gospel writer is doing in verses 10 through 12. In verse 10, he says, even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Imagine Israel as this big tree. And the woodsman has come up to the tree with his axe. And he has set his axe down by the side of the tree. And he begins to put on his gloves. He begins to put on his work jacket. This is what he's talking about. The axe is laid. It's, it's, it's right there. This tree is coming down. And he says, every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 11, he says, I, this is John. I, I baptize you with water for repentance, but... But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. Matthew, what in the world are you talking about? He's saying that, that their lives, Israel, they're going to be cut down like a fortnight structure, just taken down. And, and what, he's, what he wants them to understand is that they can't stand. And the one who is coming after him, though he is coming with redemption, he is coming in judgment as well. And this coming of the Holy Spirit will, will burn away what is bad and so purify the people of God. And he says his winnowing fork. He's talking about in, in their agricultural life, that when they would go out to reap the harvest, they would gather all the wheat. They would gather all of it together, and they would bring it to a, a, a stone floor. And either themselves or they would bring an ox, and they would begin just to step on the wheat and crush the wheat 
and, and it would go around and around and around till it, it looked like it was crushed to a pulp. And then they would take like a pitchfork uh, uh, almost and, and, and they would scoop it up and throw it in the air. And the shaft, the leftover and worthless part that was crushed off would just blow away. But the genuine wheat, it will fall back down to the floor in order for the harvest to be reaped. What he's saying is when Jesus is coming, this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of heaven is a dividing line. And those who repent and turn, they're like the wheat. God is going to, he, he's going to come and he's going to throw everybody. Everybody's going to get shooken up. Everybody's going to be shaken. And, and he said, but, but those who land back on the floor. Those belong to me. Those, those like, like a cat with nine lives who, who lands on their feet. Those, those are the ones that belong to me. He says, but those who don't repent, those who don't turn, those who reject me, those who keep living for their own kingdom, those who keep wanting to do what they want to do, say what they want to say and go where they want to go, they're the shaft. And the shaft just gets blown away. Then there was usually an area that the shaft would kind of blow to. They wouldn't gather that in. They would gather that together and just throw it in the fire. Beloved, that's your soul. When we run around rejecting repentance, we're turning to death. Your soul is headed to an eternity separated from the goodness of God. All because you think you know better than God. Because you want to live the life you want to live. But John came preaching a message. And praise be to God that some of us have, even, have heard that message. Had it not been God lovingly whispering in our ears, telling us that we need to listen to the good news of the gospel, what he has done through Jesus Christ to save sinners from ourselves. See, repentance just opens the door, but the faith in Jesus is what leads me through the door. See, repentance is, is, a, is a way of preparation. The, 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 the repentance just turns the oven on, but the cooking comes when Jesus Christ sets forth. The, see, he sets himself down, and we look to him by faith, believing that he is who he says he is, and he, he accomplished what he said he would accomplish, and he is sitting right now at the right hand of the Father, interceding on my behalf. Beloved, John is trying to tell us this ain't a game. This ain't a joke. Your soul is at stake. Repent and live. Repentance leads to life. Rejection leads to death. But praise be to God. Though repentance means turning from sin and self, and though repentance means turning from death, Repentance means turning toward Christ Jesus. And think about the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of heaven, there's redemption. In the kingdom of heaven, there is holiness. In the kingdom of heaven, there is forgiveness of sin. In the kingdom of heaven, there is victory. Beloved, part of what, 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 what Matthew is establishing is he wants us to understand the reason why the kingdom of heaven is at hand is because Jesus has showed up. Jesus, he is the kingdom of heaven at hand. 
And when we look to the kingdom of heaven, when we look to Jesus, every single need that we have to turn has already been dealt with. And instead of trying to change ourselves and instead of trying to figure out ourselves, when we look to Jesus, the life that we had not lived is credited to ourselves. So through Christ Jesus, when we look to him, when we are crucified with Christ, he begins to live through us. So when the father looks at us, he doesn't see us in our sin. He sees his beloved son with whom he is well pleased. Understand, beloved, that Repentance is the gateway of grace. Today, admit to God that you're wrong. Have a godly sorrow for your sin. Ask God to forgive your sin. Ask God to cleanse your sin. And ask God to give you his spirit. Because repentance leads to life. You should be constantly turning from death. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your glorious and matchless word. Father, may these words ring true within our hearts. May we be a people broken by our sin, but built up by the blood of Jesus. And Father, I pray for the one today who is in opposition to you, who is actively repelling, uh, rebelling against you. Father, would you humble them today that they may hear you and that they would be led to the foot of your cross. And Father, for the one who, who's been operating in their own strength, trying to do better, trying to be better, Father, I ask that you would remind them of the reality that is when we are weak, that you are strong. So, Father, help us to be repenters today. Help us to believe you over ourselves. Help us to turn from our sin or from ourselves. And help us to turn towards Jesus, our Savior. Heavenly Father, we do love you and we thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen.